Hello, hey, and welcome to Ask the Color Expert. My name is Elaine Travis. I am a career hair colorist, independent educator, and author of the book, A Colorful Journey. I'm here every week sharing tips, tricks, and stories that are all things hair color. Thanks for joining me, and let's get started. Hello, and welcome back to the Ask the Color Expert podcast. Today's special guest is Mickey Wright. She is a salon business coach and the host of Beauty Superstars Talk. And I am so thrilled that she's taking this time to be here with me. Her and I have crossed paths many times at the IBS Hair Show. We both are passionate about sharing with other hairstylists and we've been in the game a long time. Um, welcome, Mickey. Thank you for taking this time out. It's so great to be here with you. Thank you so much for having me, Elaine. I'm really excited to be here. My pleasure. So we, right before I pressed record, Mickey and I were catching up and we started having a conversation. And now we're going to take this interview in an entirely different direction because we realized how alike our stories are and how relevant our conversation was that we were having not being recorded to what's going on in the industry now. So we're going to kind of pivot. Um, my intention was to talk to you, Mickey, about the um, superstar talk and, and all your great guests. I saw you had Ted Gibson. You're doing a lot of great things and um, talking about, you know, in the industry, how color doesn't matter. Hair is hair. You know, it's about time that we all learn how to do all hair and not have, you know, the salon that does African-American hair and the salon that does the Asian haircuts and the smoothing treatments. And then the, the you know, salon family Caucasian hair salons. Um, it's been too segregated for too long. And that's also an important subject. And you and I could do 14 podcast episodes together on all the topics. Um, but I was asking you when we started chatting, you know, hey, I know you used to own a salon. Did you sell your salon? You know, talking about what was going on in my world right now. And we realized that what does it look like when you're ready to be at the end of your business? And I think that not enough people talk about that. And for me, 30 years into my owning of my salon, when I knew that I was ready to go, I really thought because it's a thriving business, because the numbers are healthy, the staff is amazing, the space is beautiful. I had just done a build out and a remodel not even five years ago that was $80,000 just to, just to, spruce it up. You know, everybody thinks like, oh, I just need new paint and whatever. And then $80,000 later, I have the granite countertops and the beautiful shutters on the windows and beautiful wallpaper and chandeliers. And you just get a little crazy. And I realized looking back that that remodel was my way of re-energizing my passion for doing what I was doing. It's kind of like you know, you hear these married couples are having problems, they're ready to have a divorce. They're like, Let's have another baby. It'll bring us so much closer. <laughs> it's such a bad idea. So that is kind of what I kept doing in my salon. It was like, okay, let me remodel. Okay, we remodeled. That's great. I'm happy for another three years. And then it's, oh, let me, you know, expand into a training salon in part of the building so I can train new talent. And then you know, that was going to be so much money. And I had the architect come in and I came to the conclusion that these were all band-aids to me feeling like I was not living my purpose or passion. I knew something needed to change. 
but I didn't know how much it needed to change until I went through that. So it sounds like your story is very similar to mine and when you were ready to leave your salon. So tell, tell the people listening what your story sounded like. Yeah, well, it's, it's similar and then there's differences, of course, but um, I was sharing with you, it's like I was one of the first um, African-American owners of a full service salon and day spa. And, you know, our, our motto was about uh, luxury not being, or I'm sorry, about pampering not being a luxury, but being a necessity. And so we really were committed to, you know, helping women to relax and de-stress and all of that. And, you know, the day it kind of hit me was, you know, like I'm doing an interview for an article, a newspaper or something or magazine. And I'm talking about, you know, how we're taking care of all of our clients and, you know, what our, our messages and what we're doing on a day-to-day -day basis and really excited about that. And I hear the words coming out of my mouth, but it's almost like an out-of-body experience because it's like, okay, those are words coming out, but you are like the most stressed out person right now <laughs> trying to run and operate all of this and keep it, you know, so that everything is coming together. Um, we started with a smaller salon which I really quickly outgrew, which was, you know, I mean, it's kind of a good problem to have, to have too many stylists that want to work with you. And, you know, we're setting up temporary stations on Saturday and someone's like right next to the bowl is the station, you know. I know exactly <laughs> where you're talking about. Literally run out of room. <laughs> and so everyone's like, okay, we've got to expand. We've got to expand. But um, kind of un unlike you, I was hesitant to expand. I was like, this, we, this is, you know, it's not comfortable in terms of the amount of space that we have, but it's comfortable in terms of managing the, the funds and the finances and making the business work, which I know is like vitally important. And so I, you know, kind of very cautiously um, approached the expansion. And I, you know, in the expansion, I did a few things that I don't recommend. I didn't recommend it before I did it, but of course I did it anyway, <laughs> which is like going into debt for furniture and, you know, and the expansion, like you say, the build out can quickly get, you know, like, Ooh, we're going to spend how much, you know? <laughs> and so there was a, a space available and, you know, it's like, I really kind of pressed the pause button. We, um, did some um, focus groups and surveys with our clients to see, you know, are you wanting these additional services and that type of thing? Because I hear so often, so many people are like, oh, I want to open a spa. It's like, well, how many clients do you have? And, oh, I don't have any clients. It's like, well, you know, how are you doing some market research to see if there's a demand for it? Are people willing to pay the, the, cert, the price that the services need to you know, that you need to charge for them to make it a profitable business. And it's like, oh no, I just want to, you know, open a spa. It's sounds like, fun. Everybody always yeah, says exactly. it's really fun. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But it's like, you know, we do have to think through on a business level, <laughs> like what are we doing? And, um, you know, people that come in, especially from the outside, think it's like, oh, we're going to paint our nails and, you know, and sing Kumbaya. And it's like, no. <laughs> Speaking of nails, on that note, we uh -huh. I can't tell you in 30 years of owning a salon how many clients have said as they're processing with their color, this is when I wish you had a nail girl here because I would love to sit and get my nails done while I'm having my hair done. And I would 
drive myself crazy trying to find the perfect person to bring in and they didn't get their damn nails done. Like everybody okay. just talks, <laughs> you know what I mean? And then you set everything up and you give them exactly what right, they want right. and they already have their nail girl. Right. They want their nail girl there, <laughs> <laughs> not a nail girl. Right. So we can drive ourselves crazy trying to keep scrambling to fit the needs of these people. You know, even with a focus right. group, they say one thing, right. but right. are they going to be there every month getting a massage or a facial? That's right. a different story. Yeah, it absolutely is. And, and it actually, your story reminds me, my mom is actually in the business and she had a salon when I was, <clears throat> partly when I was growing up. And one of the things was the, the pop machine. I'm from the Midwest, so we call it pop, but soda, the soda machine. So she had all the different sodas and stuff in there. And everybody's like, you don't have any diet soda, you know? And so then she goes <laughs> and it's like, okay, I guess we'll get some diet soda. Everybody wants diet soda like not one can sold, you know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. They just want the option to have, you know, their nails done or the soda. Exactly. <laughs> so you definitely have to, to dig under. It's almost like, you know, you know, when was the last time you colored your hair? Oh, um, it was a long time ago, you know? <laughs> it's like, <clears throat> looks like it was like last month, you know? <laughs> mm -hmm. It looks like you have about an inch of regrowth. Let's talk a little bit deeper about this. <laughs> exactly. So we do have to be really careful when we're talking to our clients and listening to our clients, you know, that we're getting the, the information that we need to make these decisions. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it, it was a, an interesting process, you know, with growing the business, which was really, you know, great in a lot of different ways, but it was very draining for me um, with having the relationships that I started with. I had one assistant who graduated on the floor. Then I had another assistant. She graduated on the floor. And then there were some other stylists um, who had come from different areas or friends or what have you that were part of the team. But everyone was used to having like a one-on-one -on -one relationship with me. And when we expanded, there were like maybe 20 to 25 people kind of at the max. Mm -hmm. And all of them want the to have whole a whole dynamic. Yep. Yeah. And I was like, I'm one person. I can't have a one on one relationship with you anymore, you know? So it's really a transition, you know, kind of mentally for everyone going into it. And, and I think, I think what happens to Mickey is you as the owner, because you started out alone as the entrepreneur, as did I, we continue on that trajectory, no matter how much we expand. You know, it's like our baby. So then we continue to try to juggle being the owner, being the manager, being the inventory person, being the hiring person, the training person. We wear all these hats and we do hair because we're usually the highest producing stylist. And that's why we ended up with our own salon. And, you know, the growth happens. And to your point, that's exactly the issue that I had with my salon is it was such a family culture and the dynamic was so much mom and kids that my daughter will often say, you know, I feel like you give them more of your attention than your own kids because you spend so much time at the salon. Right. And then, you know, you and I started to talk um, again before we record it about what does the exit strategy look like? What does it look like when you're ready to leave? And it, it's not a normal thing. You know, selling a salon is not like selling um a subway franchise or pizza hut or you know something that like here you go here's the keys it's turnkey this is the system here you go 
Right. Salons are based on relationships, relationships with each other, relationships from staff to the owner and relationships to the client. And it becomes like a divorce instead of a business transaction, it becomes a divorce. And where does each person's loyalty lie? Where does the client go? Does she stay when you go? And, and when you have that family dynamic, it's like when you go to sell the business, which one of the kids is going to step up and be the boss. They want to be the kids because they've always been the kids. So I don't think enough people talk about this. And that's why I was excited to pivot this interview because it was interesting. I wanted to point out something that you said um, when we were chatting about the time that you spent in your salon. You said about three years into owning it is when you got the idea to expand into a spa and make it larger. And then I said, when did you know you had enough? And you said about seven years. I just went and did a friend here in Florida's hair. We do each other's hair. And I said, when did you know you had enough in your salon? And she said, seven years. Mm. Every single time I lost a key employee in my business, it was when they were with me seven years. Oh, wow. So Donald Scolari, do you remember him at the hair know. shows? Heavy set uh -huh. guy, always talked about, um, you know, when to raise your prices and everything. Uh -huh. I ran into him at the airport and I was having a total complete pity party because I had my first walkout. And the walkout happened when my heels were in stirrups and I was delivering my son. Mm. So talk about tragic. I had no maternity leave with him. I had him, I went right back to work. It was awful. So I ran into him. It was about maybe a year after it all happened and I was kind of healing a little bit, but not really. It was really devastating. And I told him the story. We were happy to be going to the same place and getting on a plane together. It had nothing to do with the hair show. I was going on a family vacation. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, I, you know, I've seen you so many times at the shows and you've done so much for my career as far as like when to raise my prices and all of that. And I told him about the walkout and he said, honey, please don't take it personally. He said, let me guess, these girls were with you seven years. And it was exactly seven years when it happened. And I said, why did you say that? And he said, haven't you heard of the seven year itch with marriages? That's when people start to stray in their marriage. That's when they think that there's something better out there. Grass is greener somewhere and it's a thing. So it felt more okay then, you know, I thought, wow, it was really nothing that I could have done differently because I really took it hard when that happened. I thought I'm a terrible leader. What did I do wrong? Why would they sneak around behind my back and do this? It had nothing to do with me. We're all friends today. Like we're fine. We totally <clears throat> healed the relationship because I ran into Donald and he pointed that out to me. And now I can see that in other people's relationships. I'm like, oh, seven years, no matter if you give them big Christmas bonuses or wonderful trips around the world, you know, a, a cruise for a month. It doesn't matter how well you take care of your staff when they are getting the itch. Mm -hmm. There's nothing you can do to scratch it. They have to scratch it themselves. And yeah. it's, it's hard to sit and sit back and let happen because you know, you know, most times when that move happens at seven years, they look back and say, you know what, I had a pretty awesome, I shouldn't have moved. And then their pride gets in the way and they won't go back to where they right. were. And yeah. I think we're starting to see that trend with the whole suite movement. It's people mm -hmm. are getting the itch. Yeah. And they say, wow, I can have my own salon, you know, for $1,200 a month or whatever it is. It sounds so doable and easy, but you assume that every one of your clients is coming with you. And we just talked about the relationships. Some of those relationships are with the owner and the salon and the institution, not just the hairdresser. And they find that out the hard way and have to start all over again. And 
and this is where you come in, I'm sure you've seen it because you're a coach, they look at the numbers and say, oh crap, I'm really not making it more money. I just have more headaches. Right. Have you seen that? Yeah, absolutely. A lot of people don't um, have a perception of what it is to like run their own salon. And there's definitely more things to do, more things to keep up with and that type of thing. And if you're seasoned, you know, like it may be a good fit, but I think there's so much to be gleaned from being part of a team. You know, I think you grow faster. I think you grow further, you know, further, faster, um, being part of a team. I think, you know, if you're able to humble yourself and learn and really, you know, grow and assist and even the, the relationship piece, because I think that's a, a, piece that's kind of missing a lot right now you know it's like everybody that's coming in it's like they're on their phone all day they're posting on social media and they haven't developed the skills a lot of times to actually have these one-on-one -on -one conversations and to have the hard conversations and to like you say move the pride out of the way to to make the relationship work you know with the clients you know as to see so many posts, you know, where people are like, you know, can you believe what this client did to me? And I, yeah, I see that way too much. Fire them. It's like, fire them. What do you mean fire them? Like, she didn't like her bangs, you know, bring her back in and trim them up. It'll take five minutes, you know, and everyone will be happy. Exactly. It's too knee jerk reaction. It used to be in my entire career, I can remember exactly who they are and I'm so happy they're gone, but in 34 years, I have had to literally have the conversation with three women yeah. that were borderline abusive. It was beyond, I don't like my bangs. It was right. such a demanding, pushy, just made me feel, as soon as I would see their name on the book, my lip would curl up and I would do that like, ugh, sick to my stomach, already day ruined, and she hasn't right. even walked in the door yet. And I just very maturely said, you know, I'm finding this to be, you know, it's not a good fit anymore and it's nothing personal, but you're going to need to find somewhere else to get your hair done. And then of course they beg to stay with you, but three times in 34 years, these posts on Facebook, it seems like they're firing three clients a week, you know, right. and there's a lot of competition out there and with any job, you know, any, and I, I've run into this with my daughter a little bit. I think that this, the millennial generation you know, that 20, I don't even know what it is anymore, but for me, it's like that 25 to 30 age group. Mm -hmm. They are job hopping a lot because they're not being told the way that their parents told them how wonderful and they do everything perfect. And then when they go to a job, they're not getting that constant praise. And I'll say, I'll hear her girlfriends talking like, I I'm looking, I'm, I'm not, I don't hear anything from my boss. I'm like, that's good. When you're not hearing from your boss, that means you're doing a great job. Right. You know, this is the real world. You're not going to keep getting awards and trophies. It's just, you're doing a good job. You're getting your paycheck. Yeah. It's good. <laughs> it's all going to be okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. But are you comfortable talking about um, the end for you, the end of your salon? Because I twice now have had a salon that I wanted to exit. And I had this beautiful picture in my mind of the perfect person coming along that would um, 
stay with the same systems and nurture the staff the same way that I did and give them the independence and flexibility that I love and, and just be as a complete replacement of me. And I just go off into the sunset and I get to finally have my beach house. Okay. And you know, I, I do something else with my time as a consultant and I'm not physically doing hair as much anymore because I did that for 34 years and stood on my feet and didn't have lunch all those years. And that's not what it looked like both times. And I shared with you um, before we started recording that a good friend of mine is the only person in 34 years that I have seen have a successful exit from a salon business. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of a fluke. <laughs> I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it again. And it did not happen for me. And it sounds like it didn't happen for you. So I would love for you to share that if you're comfortable sharing the the behind the scenes uh, nitty gritty of, of what that looks like. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm comfortable sharing it, but I'm realizing it's like, I've never really shared it, you know, and, and it does need to be Get shared. the tissues, girl, get the tissues. <laughs> oh, well, I, I think I'm way over that part. So. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's like, I, I basically left my salon with debt, even though I sold it. So sometimes I say I sold slash, um, um, closed it, you know, like it, it was both actually. Um, but like I said, I got that out of body experience where I was like, like, you are so stressed out. And then I was at an age where I was like, I, I wanted to think about kids and a relationship and marriage and all of those things. And I was like 200% into my career. Mm -hmm. And so I know that I wanted to step back and kind of, you know, do some of those things, which none of that actually unfolded the way that I pictured either. But, um, <laughs> but anyway, I can tend to be like, okay, this is what I'm feeling. This is the decision I'm moving forward. So I did give it some thought, but it was pretty quick when I made the decision. One thing, and I, I used to teach a class that was called five things to know before you open your salon, because um, one of the things was my lease wasn't up yet when I made the decision to close. And so I needed to go back and find my original lease to see what it says about getting out of the lease before the time was up. Because I think there's about a year and a half left. And I said, you know, it's like, do I want to spend another year and a half here do doing this like this? And the answer to me was no, I don't. And so if I'm not going to spend a year and a half, how long am I going to spend? And so Anyway, I went back to find the lease. And um, when I opened the salon, my sister happened to have been in law school. And so I asked her to look it up, look over the lease, even though she wasn't, you know, an attorney and didn't specialize in that area. And so she had made sticky notes, you know, for different questions and things along the, the way. And so that's the one I found first, not the one that my, you know, attorney had gone over. But um, the first thing on the first page is, are you sure you want a five-year lease? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> at, at first, you know, of course, when you're opening, I mean, everybody opening is like, yes, of course, I want to be there for five years. It's like, probably want to be there for 10 years. And it's like, <laughs> and I just found that like, so hilarious. It's like, and here I am three and a half years later <laughs> saying, wait a minute, <laughs> I don't want to get out of this. So anyway, look at your lease and know what, you know, what those implications are in case you want to leave early, because that's what the leases are for, all the ugly stuff that doesn't come up, not when you pay your rent on time every month. So um, anyway, I made that decision. I found out what needed to happen and set about trying to get it sold. 
And, um, and, you know, like you say, it's a really tough thing. It's like there wasn't a team member that was interested in, you know, coming and stepping into all of that responsibility. And the people that did look, you know, I think I went to a business broker and they're like, mm, it's like, we'll see what we can do kind of thing. But it's like, we're not so sure. You know, I had some friends and stuff in the industry to see, you know, it's like, are you, you know, looking to expand, looking to, you know, do X, Y, and Z. And there really weren't that many people who were interested. So at one point I was like, okay, well, I'm going to have to close, which I really wanted to keep my team together. My team worked really great together. And, um, you know, of course, you know, I'm still a mama bear too. <laughs> and um, I want to see the family stay together, but it's like at a point it's like, okay, well, I think everybody's going to have to start making arrangements for where they're going to go and I'm happy to help and all of that. And then kind of, an, we got an 11th hour buyer another salon owner who wanted to expand on my side of town. And, um, and so I was like, okay, this is good. But what they were willing to pay versus what I was asking and what I owed for the furnishings and all of that kind of stuff and the build out that I don't recommend going into debt for that I did go into debt for, <laughs> uh, what they offered and paid did not cover what I had already put out and committed to repaying. And so then I'm no salon, no salon income and debt. So that's probably a whole nother story for a whole nother, <laughs> a whole nother. But, uh, but here's, here's what happens. Mm -hmm. You start to talk yourself into staying because of, you know, you don't want to give up. You want to keep the team together. I kept saying I would be in the shower and I would say, but I'm the only one not happy. They're all happy. I'm the only one not happy. Why would I close something that's so successful? Like I'm shattering everybody's livelihoods for my unhappiness. That's so selfish. I just have to suck it up and keep going. And you keep going and then you're like, but they're all happy and I'm not. And you and I know what the profit margin is. It's not enough to fill your happy. <laughs> it's not <laughs> enough at all. So your, your fear of staying the same becomes bigger than your fear of, of the what's next. It's like, right. you don't even, you start to not even care about the money. And then what happens is you change, you know, you, when you start the process, you get an evaluation from a normal business broker with other businesses, unlike the beauty industry, you know, three, three years, numbers, profit times two, I think is the number. So I had this great big number that I was thrilled with, but try right. getting somebody to pay that. Right. So then when you chop it in half or a third, because again, right. you just want to take that money and do something else, then it becomes, well, what's wrong with it? This sounds too good to be true. Why is it so cheap? So you can't win. You know, okay. it's kind of like this beast that like you can't shuffle around and, and make it work. And I don't think enough people talk about that. You know, yeah. I, I go to hair, you and I teach at hair shows all over the country. I have yet to meet a salon owner that went off into the sunset and it worked out well that they just handed the keys over and it thrived without them. And it um, was a good thing. And, and there has to be a better way to be prepared for that in some way for these salon owners that are still in it. I, I hope that you as a business coach, I mean, I'm, I'm more of a hair color coach. I don't really get into too much business, but I hope that we can put our heads together and try and help people with their yeah. exit strategy, because I just don't think anybody's ever prepared for what that looks like. But what I also wanted to point out is, 
you're now a salon business coach and you love it and you love what you do. And what's interesting for both of our stories is your mess becomes your message. True. So the very thing that you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so unhappy doing this. I just want to do that. The thing that you feel called to do happens as a result of your misery. So that's why people say, you know, you can't grow without a little bit of pain. Um, when you find yourself in that situation, now you're such a stronger business coach because you know, you've been on the other side of that and you know exactly what the numbers look like and what they should look like and what they don't look like. Yeah. And it's, it's one of the things that I, um, stress to the people that I work with, you know, it's like that we want to get them profitable and, um, it's like not most salons probably aren't profitable. And then like, like you say, if the prop, if they are profitable, it's like the margins pretty slim. And um, most people don't really look at it that way. Um, that a lot of times the hairstylists are actually making more than the owners. Most. And, <laughs> most times. <laughs> and so, you know, it's like everyone wants to own a salon, but it's like, we have to go about it really smart. And that's why it's like my salon we were um, blessed to be part of the Salon Today 200 fastest growing salons in the country, you know, not just once, but for three consecutive years. So we had a lot of growth in that time frame. Um, but I have to admit, it's like we weren't always profitable. It's like we were growing, we were doing great numbers and we were building. But it's like I'm committed to building in profit for my, you know, the folks that I work with. It's, it's not easy to, um, you know, to really make this work in terms of a traditional business type of, of setup. And, you know, of course we have to do it because we love it, but we do at the end of the day need to, you know, put aside more money, you know, which we don't always do as hairstylists. It's like, we're kind of in the moment and get some money. We, you know, it's like, who knows where it went, you know? So those are things that I work with people on, you know, tracking and knowing their numbers and knowing their key numbers, you know, to be able to, increase their numbers so that they can have the, the money to be able to save and to invest and to really put things into their future because the selling of the salon may not be, you know, like you say, the 401k plan that they hoped it would be. hundred percent. And I love that you shared that about the salon today, 200. I remember I was applying for the first time and I applied for the category of <clears throat> salons you would want to work in or something. I forget what it was. It was something about like being a great employer. Okay. And part of the application was you had to have three of your employees write why they liked working there. Okay. And this staff was a different staff than the, my former salon has now. This was a, a very unhealthy culture. And I remember saying like, you know, there, there was like 12 of them. And I said, I just need three of you to write, you know, what's great about working at this salon. And it was like pulling teeth, trying mm-hmm. to get them to fill it out. And we won. We were in that that um, year in, in the winners and we were in the magazine and everything. And I just remember looking at it and saying, I'm not even proud of this because <clears throat> I had to beg, <clears throat> excuse me, beg for them to tell me why they loved working there. Mm-hmm. And to the outside looking in like, oh, she's in. So I had the plaque on the wall in the salon, Salon Today 200. You celebrated it as well. And you had no profit. So you and I looked at that magazine and looked at those people who had all that success and we wanted to be them. Mm -hmm. And we went into debt trying to build this amazing thing to be getting all these accolades and all these awards. And I think if you put truth serum in most of the people that get the most awards, they're not profit. It's all 
smoke and mirrors and fabulousness on the outside, but inside they're feeling like you and I feel, but they haven't given up yet. You know, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of people that I'm like, oh my gosh, my, my good friend owned two really crazy successful salons. And I had him on my coffee chat during COVID. And I said, let's not talk about COVID. Like everybody's talking about it. Let's just talk about hair color. And I was going on and on about how wonderful and how proud I am of him. I said, I begged him not to open a salon when he wanted to. I tried to talk him out of it. And I felt bad that I was so negative because he's in all these magazines and getting all these awards and everything. And literally two days after our coffee chat, I saw on social media that he was closing both locations. He didn't say a word. Mm-hmm. So I was like, dude, you let me sit there and talk about your, and he's like, I know, but nobody knew yet. I couldn't say anything. It was awkward. I'm like, there you go. You know, he's, he's done, you know, famous people's hair. He's done everything. And he's like, girl, I wish I listened to you. And, 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 and I was like, oh, you're killing me. You were the happy ending that I shared with people. <laughs> so I don't want this to be, you know, I tend to go towards the negative because I am a realist. I don't mean to be harping on the glass half empty, but I want people to understand the reality of what's going on and the thief of, of joy of comparison of, oh, well, Mickey's got the salon today, 200 and Mickey has the 25 operator spa and I want that. And I'm going to borrow more money and put more into it to be more overwhelmed and more unhappy. It's crazy. And, and it's not just the salon industry. It's men that turn 50 and go out and buy the Maserati they can't afford or the <laughs> Harley Davidson they can't afford. You know, we, if COVID has taught us anything, uh-huh. It's like enough is enough. Sit at the table and play a board game with your kids. Those right. are the moments you're going to remember. And we've gotten way off track on that for yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely think this was kind of a global sit down somewhere, you know, because <laughs> it's like we've just all been running around and we've got to do this and we've got to do that. And everybody's busy and everybody's on their phone. It's like, no, just sit down and really look at, you know, what is really important. And, you know, to what you're sharing, it's like, I really can say that it's like, I, I enjoyed and loved the time that I, you know, was, you know, a salon owner and a salon and spa owner. And, and I don't feel like it was like for the different awards and that type of thing. That was a little more on the icing category. It wasn't try to achieve that for that. But um, I'm really, you know, I have to say I'm proudest of my team. You know, it's like I'm still connected to my team and the things that I taught them and instilled in them have contributed to their success to, you know, through today. It's like they still have clients from that time frame, which was like the late 90s. <clears throat> and um, it's, it's rewarding to see there's a lot of different rewards of it. Um, but just, I think, like you say, being realistic as far as <clears throat> what it may provide for you financially after you stop being behind the chair. Yes, hundred percent. Yeah, there almost, there almost needs to be um, <clears throat> like a special realtor that deals with just salons because it's such a different animal as far as the valuation and and the nuance of of that relation, that family culture relationship. Yeah, it, I, I honestly think it's just a really hard business to sell because you know, number one, like you said you're the mama of the the salon when mama leaves like what in the world happens to the rest of the family that's you know and the reality is it's like if they pick up their their tools and go to a suite or to another salon 
there is no business. You know what I mean? All the business that it's built on is the labor and is the talent that's in the salon and the talent and the labor and the clients are all there because of the atmosphere that's created by the owner. So it is a transition. And I did, I actually did, I guess um, you're reminding me, it's like I actually did sell a salon successfully. I wasn't trying to sell the salon at all. <laughs> but my very first salon I opened um, <clears throat> one year and you know, plan to be there for years. And actually, um, a gentleman that opened um, kind of around the corner around the same time, he's, well, he's not still in that location because they expanded, but they're like down the street from that location. And the space where I was is still that same salon. They never changed the sign that I had made and all of that. But um, there was, they wanted to buy me out. And I was like, no, I'm not interested in selling. I just opened, you know, right. it literally was a year. And it's like, they kept upping them out and up in the amount and up in the amount. And I was like, okay, this is turning into an offer. I can't refuse because it's like, I can always open another salon, you know? Yeah. And so I ended up, I did end up selling and I sold and made some money. Well, well now I have two friends that successfully <laughs> sold <laughs> salons. But one wasn't trying to two sell friends in 34 years. <laughs> um, if you could go back, if you could turn back time, like Cher, um, <laughs> would you... <clears throat> do anything different as far as would you have stayed smaller and maybe done split shifting or raised your prices or done something different that way? Or do you think that everything that you did, you did and you wouldn't change a thing and it just is what it is? Like, how do you feel about the... <clears throat> um, I think there's definitely some things that I would, would like to change, but at the same time, I know that it was such, um, you know, it's like, I don't know where you are with, with God, but it was such a God thing that even led like one door open. If I share that story, you're like, like what, like how? <laughs> but um, I actually saw the space, um, you know, when we were getting like in the fall maybe, and we were already full and crowded and cramped and, and you know, overflowing with clients and, and team. And, you know, I saw this space because I was looking and I always recommend, you know, like I'll tell the audience, if you are looking for a space to find out what that space was before you're going to move your salon there. And things like restaurants and salons are great because they already have a lot of plumbing and they already potentially have a lot of electricity. So you can save a lot by doing that. So there was this nice space that wasn't too far away that used to be a salon. And um, so it's like, okay, that's interesting. So I look at it, I look at the numbers and I'm like, I don't think I want to bite off that right now. So I'm like, I'll just kind of keep it, you know, in prayer. And by the end of the year, beginning of the next year, I'll make a decision. This was in the fall. So about four months or so. So I'm like, okay, let me revisit it. And when I do, it's like, it's, um, it's been taken as a salon. And mm -hmm. so, you know, someone else bought it or what have you. And so it's like, okay, so I guess that wasn't meant to be fine. So anyway, about six months later, June-ish, maybe I get a call. It's like, are you interested in a salon? I mean, it was like a random call. I don't know who, it was. I don't even know who it was from. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, we're, you know, kind of looking at it, thinking about expanding. And they're like, this space is going to be available. The people who bought that space were a partnership and the partnership didn't work. And so they were wanting to get out of it. So I was like, okay, it's like, let's, you know, by that time I was kind of like, okay, I'm ready to take on a little more. We had done, like I said, a little bit more research with the clients and all. And so I, um, you know, put in my offer or what have you. 
and they're like, oh, well, you know, we got this other offer and, you know, they told me what the offer was and I was like, yeah, I would have taken that one too. And so that happened. And a few months later in the fall, this space, I get this random call. It was like the beginning of cell phones on my cell phone. And they're like, this space is available. Are you still interested? And so it's like the same space keeps coming back. <laughs> and so I'm like, yeah. And that may have been like September-ish, something like that. And we were scheduled to open. It was like a complete, you know, redo. Because it was like a, a salon that had been set up maybe in the 60s. So you got the old dryers and the old look and I didn't like any of that. And so that was how I ended up going into debt because it's like, no, none of this will do. This is not. <laughs> and so um, I, with building out my first small salon, I used a contractor who was um, a carpenter and a contractor because it was a small space. But he did such a poor job as the contractor part. He was a great carpenter. But I was like, I could do that part. So I ended up becoming my own general contractor to build out the big space, which worked out. It actually worked out really well. So that was another God thing um, <laughs> that we found all the right people and talent and stuff. And um, But, you know, it's like I can't say that I wouldn't do it again because it just feels like there's no way that this opened up, you know, two or three. That many times. times. <laughs> And, um, and then we were like delayed, but six, six or eight weeks later, we were in the space. Now, and, how long has the people who took over after you been in business? Um, oh God, we need another show for that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not even sure how to say this nicely, but they, um, they were an interesting, interesting, um, group of people. <laughs> that's all I can say on that. So that's but, not who your staff is with now. I'm no, talking about the, the one that has your staff. Are they still in business? They they were caught doing some illegal stuff, not in the salon, but outside of the salon. And mm. so and but they had done a lot of kind of shady things, you know, after I left, you know, and even blaming me for certain things that they didn't do. Oh, lovely. So it's still haunting you after, after you get out. <laughs> after I left. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think I do want to share this just, you know, for people getting out because it is emotional and I don't know what your experience is around this. And, and a lot of times, like one of the things um, is that for me anyway, my identity was so tied to 100% to teaching, to, doing competitions to doing photo shoots and all stuff that I loved, but I had to really kind of do some soul searching before I could leave, even though I wanted to leave. I was like, who am I even without all of this? Because it was just like, this is Mickey. It's like, Turn no, life. Yep. there's a Mickey, but there's, you know, this stuff is just on the outside, but who is Mickey? And, um, and without even understanding or realizing it um, that year after I sold, it's like I was in a depression mm -hmm. and, and didn't know it, you know, it's like until after I looked back, you know, like when I look at how much I made that following year, I was like, how did I even survive? And there was no, like, I've always been like, get up and go and I'm ready. And how many, you know, clients do we have today? And let's do this. And like, if somebody, you know, said, oh, you had a cancellation. Oh, okay. I'll go home now. You know, it's just like <laughs> really just <laughs> blowing in the wind kind of thing for a year. And I was like, 
I couldn't even survive on what I was making and I wasn't even concerned about it. <laughs> it was like, and so I was like, wow. It's like, I was really like in a, a just zoned out completely kind of thing. I yeah. can a hundred percent appreciate that. It's, it's definitely, yeah. I opened my salon when I was 22. Mm -hmm. So I was not married to my husband. I did not have my children. It was in fact my first baby and I treated it as such the entire time. Mm -hmm. So a hundred percent, your, your whole purpose, your whole, you know, routine, everything is surrounded by this business. So even though you're ready to move on, it is like going through a divorce, you know, it's, you have to mourn the loss of it, even though you didn't want it anymore, you still miss the routine of it. Yeah. So it, it is, it is something that, um, like I said, I, I, I love this podcast because I don't think enough people talk about the truth of exactly. the behind the scenes, you know, it's funny because my clients every once in a while, I'll get a Facebook message and they'll say, I hope you're, you're enjoying your retirement in Florida. I'm like, retirement? I started a new business at 51 years old. <laughs> Who's retired? <laughs> Who gets to retire? I mean, right. you, you know of uh, Dee Levin, right? She's an amazing color. She's involved with inner coiffure. Oh, okay. She was in the salon industry her whole entire life and she finally is retired, but I think she's in her eighties. Like she was still doing hair. I think she might even actually still be doing hair part-time right now, like one day a week or something. Most, yeah. most salon people do not retire. They, they work yeah. till, till their last breath. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's in there, you know, and I've done a few other things outside of the industry, but I'm like, it always kind of like calls me back. It's like, there's some way to, and even now it's like, I was really um, like, you know, deciding kind of which direction I wanted to go. But it was like, once all of this hit, it's like, I've just got to try to be of service to my community as best I can because- They need you now more than ever. So yeah, don't want yeah. to go anywhere now. And, and, and it, it is the greatest business there. Like I can't imagine ever being in any other industry. It yeah. has its, its moments, but overall, it's such a great, you know, there's so many avenues you can explore so much. I still have just as much passion today as I did when I got out of beauty school. And that's something that I think my, most of my friends and family are envious of that. I absolutely love what I do that that's the gift in all of the mess is that you really do love our industry and love, you know, the good, the bad and the ugly all together wrapped up in a bow. Um, I wouldn't have it any other way. So I'm glad that you're helping other people and, and telling your story about, and like you said, we could have five more episodes. There's so much more that we can talk about. Right. Um, you know, I tell, tell people how to get your, um, I know you have a build your clientele ebook and you also have seven steps for financial survival. How can people reach out and connect with you and get one of your um, resources? Yeah, well, the um, the best way is to go to beautysuperstars.com, and it's with an S on the end, beautysuperstars.com, and there, um, the guide that you talked about is actually a video, The Seven Steps um, to Help You Get Your Finances Back on Track from COVID is a free gift that I offer there, so once you go, it's like it'll be a little blue pop-up about a second after you get there, and you can, um, it'll give you immediate access to it, and um, it's been really helpful for people. And um, I'm also hosting Beauty Superstars Talk um, on YouTube. It's, it's every Tuesday at 7 p.m. where I interview. It's all Black artists um, because I think we just have to celebrate all of the great things that we're doing in the industry that most of us don't even know about. 
and it is designed to help heal, you know, this racial divide that's in our industry, as well as, you know, provide inspiration, provide education. And I'm excited. I'm, I'm finishing up Barber Month this month. Each month has a theme. And I go into the legends um, next month. And I'm just like, <gasps> I can't wait. You know, it's like just um, very excited to interview some of the people who paved the way for <clears throat> where we are now in our careers. And there's from what I've seen, like no real resource for people to know, like the younger people coming into the industry, who came before them and, you know, the things that were achieved and, and strides made, um, you know, so that it makes what we do possible. And so I'm excited to be able to interview my guests then. And it's like, we'll be unveiling um, who they all are, but um, some really heavy hitters in the industry. And uh, some of them are kind of coming out of retirement in a sense to have these interviews. So I'm super excited to kind of I sit. I love at, that. Sit that. That's exactly what I have going on myself. I'm hosting Revival, which is um, a hair show to bring all of the people that I looked up to in the industry when I was coming up and, and learning things that, you know, the, the younger generations may not know who they are because they're not heavy hitters on social media. So that hence the name revival. So same thing. We our paths are very, very, very similar. So I'm glad that we connected. Thank you for sharing this time. Everyone please find Mickey on her beautysuperstars.com and check out her free resources. And if you need an excellent coach who's gonna show you the way, she <laughs> is your girl. <laughs> yeah, so okay. thank you, Mickey. Thank you so much. Thanks, Elaine. This has been great. It's like I really um, am super excited to be here and just really um, grateful for all that you're doing for the industry. It's like it makes a huge difference. Thank you. Right back at you. Mm -hmm. Everybody, thanks for listening. We'll see you on the next one. Thank you for listening to the Ask the Color Expert podcast. Please subscribe and be sure to leave a review. For more information on hair color education, please visit my website, www.expertcolorsolutions.com. See you soon.